Thank you for listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. It is not intended nor should it be considered an invitation or inducement to buy or sell any of the underlying instruments cited, including but not limited to crypto assets, financial instruments, or any instruments that reference any index provided by CF Benchmarks Limited. This recording is not intended to persuade or incite you to buy or sell a security or securities noted within. Any commentary, interviews, and discussions are opinions only and should not be considered a personalized recommendation. Please contact your financial advisor or professional before making any investment decision. Some of the underlying instruments cited within this recording may be restricted to certain customer categories in certain jurisdictions. You're listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets, the home of informed conversation about crypto for institutions building the future of finance, presented by CF Benchmarks. I'm Ken O'Delaga, Head of Content, and I'm joined by Gabe Selby, our Lead Research Analyst. Hey guys, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets with myself, Ken, and my colleague, Gabe, over there in New York. Hi, Gabe. Hey, everyone. Really excited to... uh... To be here today and to talk some markets again. Yeah, it's been a little while since we actually talked one to one. We've had some amazing guests over the last uh, several episodes, but that's kind of detracted from our usual uh, way of talking about markets. So, Gabe, to say the least, it's been an eventful several last several weeks. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, these are some I think some events that not too many people would have forecasted three months ago, and. In our 2023 outlook, we talked a lot about this macro headwind shifting to a tailwind sometime this year. And 2023 has just been kind of a roller coaster of a year as far as these shifts in the narratives. Every month seems like we're going to start to see maybe a sooner than expected pivot in January. Then in February, that becomes off the table. And now in March, we see these spectacular collapses of these institutions you know, across the board in, in the US and now, you know, in Europe with Credit Suisse being acquired by UBS. So it looks like markets are kind of starting to price in some uh, some dovish Fed policy in the future. There's at least a lot more uncertainty again. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, we're just going to have to kind of see how things shake out. I mean, Gabe, you mentioned all that, which is it's actually been a crazy year and it's only <laughs> it's only late March, right? But then you look at all that and you see that the, the Nasdaq 100 is still 70%, better part of 20% higher for the year in a year like this. And of course, crypto, you know, we're in a phase where crypto is commensurate with risk assets. Bitcoin has rallied those eight big figures to 28. And then, I mean, it's come back in the last couple of days to 27. But that's still a massive um, uplift from, from you know, where we were in December. What is going on then? Well, I think, you know, we talked about this before where... 2023 could be a perfect environment for crypto in a sense that when you get that shift in the macro from the headwind to the tailwind, but you're not quite seeing the fundamental side on, you know, corporate earnings or profitability, because these fundamental things that you look at on a traditional asset class like equities are likely to still be challenged with margin pressure. So inflation is still probably going to be running hotter for the time being. Um, that's going to put some pressure, I think, on margins. It's It's really just about who's kind of like the uh, least ugly duckling. And when you look at digital assets in particular, Mike McGlone likes to talk about this a lot. He says it's the fastest horse in the race. I think that traders, investors 
are just really quick to get bids into the digital asset space whenever you see potential shifts in macro, whereas equities might be a laggard. It's already starting to play out in the price action. When you look at the spread between you know our CF diversified broad cap index versus you know something like the S&P, there's a really big outperformance gap between these two asset classes. I mean, you were saying earlier that um, what we had year to date still pretty much applies um, was a broad rally for the digital asset class crypto led by Bitcoin and Ether, but it became a bit less broad um, since um, sort of early March. Yeah. So every three months, we like to do this exercise, a quarterly attribution review of our indices. So these are all of our multi-token indices. Um, you know, we have reference rates, which settle derivative contracts on like the CME, like the Bitcoin futures. Um, and then we also offer these uh, wonderful multi-token indices that have either, you know, thematic exposure to certain segments of the digital asset space, or they focus on certain market cap thresholds. If we look at the performance from, let's just say the last rebalance period, which started in December 1st to uh, March 1st, you would say that the overall performance of the digital asset space was very tight and it was all positive. So it was very, uh, there wasn't a big dispersion, right? Between different segment groups. It was all just broad based rallies. Now that we've kind of fallen into this new, I would say this temporary regime of uncertainty surrounding, you know, financial institutions and their stability, we've seen Bitcoin in particular um, outperform its peers. So if you look at like anything like the Bitcoin Ethereum ratio, which is something that we look at a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's basically shown just that dominance. And if you look at the performance of our multi-token indices, it's our ultra cap five index, which has the highest weighting to relative weighting to Bitcoin. And that's why it's been kind of the star outperformer for the month of March, um, which we're coming to an end at. So yeah, this is, this is something that we're keeping an eye on. It's something that I like to look at, which is how broad is the digital asset rallies? How broad is the price action? Is it just a few tokens? Is it more, you know, more of a secular trend across the board? I'd like to ask you, you know, we've got all this uncertainty surrounding the banking crisis, do you think we're kind of getting to the other side of it? Or is it, or do you think we, we still have some more dominoes to kind of knock over? As many sort of famous commentators say, the very nature of a crisis that you can't predict exactly what's going to happen next. But um, two things I wanted to mention. Um, the first thing is, just like in sort of like, uh, you might want to call it TradFi, traditional Wall Street, traditional markets, there is a narrative that carries trading in terms of sentiment on a day-to-day, week-to-week, maybe month-to-month basis. And in crypto, it's you know we have our own corollary of that. And I think, I guess one of the main threads of that is um, this whole thing that crypto is a kind of a safe haven, a counter trade. I'm not saying it's applying right now, but is there a little bit of a flavor of that that you're seeing? Maybe one of the drivers, I think it's incorrect. I think you're probably going to agree it's incorrect. But it did look like to me when these banks collapsed and when the conventional markets you know, uh, tumbled sharply and, and Bitcoin and Ether, maybe a few others, didn't tumble so fast that people were like slightly hedging their bets, you know, slightly crazily with crypto. Is that, am I, am I wrong in that perception? There's like a thesis, right, with Bitcoin in particular, where it's this uh, store of value, it's cl- global collateral, it's this and that. You can access it 24-7, you can trade it. Um, as long as you have an internet connection, you know, you, you can get on, get a transaction through the blockchain, basically. Well, I think we saw in March with the SVB collapse with Credit Suisse and why we've seen such a bid up in Bitcoin in particular 
is actually more, I think, on the duration, which is the interest rate sensitivity of the asset class more than this thesis, which I like to call the sound money thesis, which talks about this you know, concept of Bitcoin being this sound money because of its fixed supply, scarcity, et cetera. And the way you can kind of measure this, and we did a, we did a quick blog post on this, is we just compared the relative risk sentiment price of the NASDAQ 100 to the S&P 500. So the NASDAQ 100 is mostly comprised of infotech sector companies, which are particularly sensitive to changes in interest rate expectations. Um, and if you take that as a ratio, and then you just simply price you know, Bitcoin next to it, you'll see that that relative risk sentiment in these duration sectors versus Bitcoin kind of moved in lockstep. Where we saw, I think, a real dispersion of this was back in October. We had the new UK prime minister come in and I think proposed some, you know, uh, potentially very inflationary. Talking about sterling, right? And that caused some really big turmoil. I mean, we I'd were say talking... that's temporary. You know, that was definitely a sort of an outlier. But there, there you really saw a lot of bidding in Bitcoin. It showed the potential of what could happen. Yeah. And you did not see the same relationship on the duration segments of the market on traditional asset classes. So there's that big gap that opened up. And I would argue that when you do kind of get these exogenous shocks to major fiat, you know, G10 currencies like the euro or the pound, which, you know, we saw plummet very rapidly. Um, it does make sense that you get a lot of price bolstering in the crypto space. But uh, I think this time it's a little bit more on just the interest rate expectation side. So I, I think, you know, personally, and I'd like to get your opinion, but I think, you know, we're running out of runway here with the, with the Fed's rate hike cycle. So no, absolutely. I 100% agree. I mean, the, you know, in many ways, the elephant in the room, uh, and it's in the elephant in the main room that includes crypto as well as uh, traditional markets, is, of course, that we've had this, um, these classic yield curve inversions, which are pretty much fail-safe in terms of their predictions of uh, downturns or full-blown full recessions in succeeding years. We've had several of these, obviously backed by, you know, we're in an environment where people are looking at the Fed following the bank crisis that we mentioned and speculating that this will be sufficient to actually enable the Fed to take its foot off the pedals. We're not really seeing any sign of that. Keep in mind that when we look at some leading measures, and one thing that I like to look at is the relationship between producer prices and consumer prices. This is a good leading indicator for where inflation is going to go. If PPI is really starting to really roll over, I, I, I would expect a little bit more downside on the, the price, the consumer price side. I think that policymakers were in a tough choice this past meeting to not really overly spook the markets by pausing. I think a 25 basis point you know, hike in, in this month was really kind of just maybe their last step that they could take forward. And I think I would anticipate that they're going to pause here soon, but they really didn't want to spook the markets because I think if they would have paused or even cut, a lot of, uh, you know, people would have started to extrapolate out some some doomsday scenarios saying like, this is it, you know, the big the big moment. And what I'm thinking is that when you see the financial conditions, the way they're, they're kind of tightening, when you see the way credit's going to be tightening with all the financial stability, I think the Fed is going to be a little bit more relieved in, in in a sense that they're going to be more confident that inflation pressure should continue to cool down 
and they'll be more comfortable pausing and then eventually starting to cut rates. Right now, markets are still anticipating, you know, basically 50-50 for the next meeting and then a potential cut in September, um, which in my opinion is a little bit too far out there. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think we can get to September before a rate cut? I don't know. You know, someone asked me the same question earlier today, maybe online. Um, and I was thinking, can you imagine the rate cut before November even? Um, I think BlackRock is, um, you know, one of our clients is predicting no uh, rate cuts this year. You know, I mean, November is pretty late. It's kind of like a lame sort of rate cut at the end of the year. You know, I think, is there a meeting in December? I think there isn't. Yeah, there's a there's a December meeting. These these quarterly meetings are the big ones. So Yeah, but, you know, obviously in December, you're not really doing anything. So if I'm saying November, if a lot of people are saying November, it's like, well, why would you cut in November if you haven't cut before then? So I agree kind of the, with, with the people who say that um, don't expect policy to change, you know, in terms of the path and the gradient, don't expect that to um, change much before the end of the year. And of course, the upshot for digital assets is what? What do you see in terms of the reaction? For, for saying Bitcoin has become, again, the most important digital assets in more ways, obviously in terms of uh, you know market cap, it remains that. But in terms of visibility, profile, performance even, um, it certainly seems to have taken back some of the initiative some of, from some of these upstarts, right? What do you see the behavior, some patterns of Bitcoin um, over the next uh, few to several months? I think I'm a little bit on the camp that either I think we're going to get a pause probably starting very soon and a rate cut sooner than September, probably in June. I think there's just so much you know, leading data that's telling us it's going to be okay too. And I think what people need to remember is just the long variable lags that you see in monetary policy with such an aggressive rate hiking path that we saw last year. I think we're just now starting to just scratch the surface maybe on some of those potential implications that they've put placed in the market. So I, I like to think, you know, I'm going to be a little bit contrarian, but I'm starting to see, I think a lot of other big names starting to kind of call for this type of pivot, which is something that we were looking at back in December with our 2023 outlook. Um, when you looked at the leading economic indicators index, it's, it was screaming, you know, and you look at the inversion of the yield curve, these things are kind of screaming, you know, that figures are, there's weakness uh, around the corner. So um, I understand it's, it's tough to really kind of to predict, yeah. yeah, that type of switch. But I, I think, you know, what Jerome Powell did, the, the, the chairman Powell did at the Fed this last meeting was really just trying to keep the Maintenance, ball, right? Maintenance, yeah. You know, right in the fairway. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of think, uh, Gabe, um, it, a few things. So basically, obviously, to my mind, apart from really sensible tweaking of the language, I mean, I think he may have mentioned pause, not at this meeting, maybe the prior meeting. I don't, don't quote me on that. But apart from that, you know, we're still getting Jerome Powell, um, hold my beer, Jerome Powell, you know, don't get in front of me, Jerome Powell. Um, there's really no indication that he's stopped, you know, that, that, they're, that they're done. Yeah. And that's a good point. I guess if you're to look at the, look at the person that he is, he's, uh, I think he, he, he really idolizes uh, a historical figure, Paul Volcker, who, yes, who was famously, you know, credited for bringing down uh, you know, the inflationary pressures that started in the 70s and carried through the 80s um, as his term as Fed chairman. I think he definitely wants to be, you know, a Paul Volcker type-esque figure. And when, Doesn't want to be Ben, ben Bernanke? 
probably probably more Volker. You know, he, he wants to be like a you know. I think he's like six six or something like that. He wants to have that stature, you know, with, in, in the history books. I remember, Paul Volker was the tallest, apparently. Yeah. Oh yeah, basketball player. But I do think you can still be. You know, he's he's done a lot of work already. I don't know if there's too much of a precedent of, of rate hikes, you know, in our in the recent decades. There's certainly not. You have to go back to I think the Volker era where you see such sizable moves in, in policy rates. So um, as it pertains to crypto. Yeah. I mean, we've gone from the intensely personalized. Now let's get back to the entirely decentralized uh, Bitcoin. I think you got to see the reaction in the prices and how the markets and traders, investors really are just really quick to kind of bid up digital assets whenever you start to see that. So it, it, it's really hard, I think, to be on the sidelines and patient and waiting, you know, for the full green light, everything's clear and then jump in, you know, digital assets. I think, you know, and Mike McGlynn said it, he said, we'll say it again, fastest horse in the race. It's going to be very tough if we do get that shift in the macro headwinds to kind of be patient and jump in. I would say, you know, it's something that you probably need to consider buying into, you know, if you're, if you're considering, you know, sooner rather than later. So that's, you know, be my personal advice. So the upshot is, uh, Gabe, rightly or wrongly, um, it, it looks like institutions are almost falling over themselves to actually be involved, to react to whatever's happening, you know, whatever site, whatever direction, whether it's to, you know, put on some positive uh, bets or put on, you know, some bearish uh, trades, uh, sort of express uh, their intent in that way. And I think what, this tells me is that even though we are in the doldrums for some markets, we're in an uncertain place, we're obviously in not the best place that we could be. Coming from a show called CFB Talks Digital Assets, this is it's still a modicum of good news there because it does demonstrate that institutions are involved and they're probably more involved than they were like a year ago or 18 months ago. Yeah. And that's something that you can just kind of see in the data. So if you look at you know, open interest in the futures contracts of Bitcoin, they continue to kind of be on this upward trajectory. And, you know, I think what we talked about in our last podcast with Mike McGlone really just needs to be echoed again that Bitcoin crypto is the fastest horse in this race. And that's why I think we continue to see these reactions in prices whenever we do get these slight glimmers of, you know, possible pivots or reversals in the macro headwind, things that we've been talking about. And that's, I think, going to continue you know, in the next few months. So I think if you're an investor um, considering allocating to crypto, digital assets, uh, it's, it's going to be very hard to kind of just sit on the sidelines. It's going to happen so quickly that you, you could see the price spike rather dramatically. So again, there's also these risks that we'd like to talk about with the regulatory side, a lot of headwinds there, but we just haven't seen the same price reaction, you know, on the uh, news that we get from that side. So it's weighing these two things, right? So we just got to keep these two things in perspective. But, uh, you know, so far it's been very constructive as far as year-to-day performance and digital assets. Well, I feel updated, uh, Gabe, on the world of institutional crypto, which is what we try to give you when we do the CFB Talks Digital Assets. And, you know, my takeaway, at least the one sort of side takeaway for this is that Regardless of what's happening in the markets, you know the market is growing, um, and particularly as con- as it concerns um, the larger capital market side, which we try to address. That part is growing. That's hopeful. That's promising for the uh, 
industry and the markets overall. So yeah, thank you very much again for joining us for this latest episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets. I'm Ken and I've been joined by Gabe. Thanks a lot, Gabe. And guys, we'll see you again next time.